Kaffee Ass. Here we are, mint condition, and we are celebrating the month after the one-year anniversary, but it's even bigger than the one-year anniversary because we have special guest, Egyptian lover in the house, and we're going to get him on the mic for a little interview, play some records in a little bit, but for right now, I'm going to run through some modern funk material. We're listening to Moon Bee. Um, and we're going to get into some other stuff that you might hear at the Modern Funk Fest that is going to be going down this Saturday night, the 16th, at the Grand Star. So stay tuned. Egyptian Lover coming up very soon.
Mamacita. All right, all right. Oh man, I remember when that came out. When you oh, Hardcastle like in the house. Eighty-five, something like that. All right. Anyways, in case you are just tuning in, you are listening to Egyptian Lover here in the um, house, baby, in the house. How you doing, Egypt? I'm doing good, man. Keeping busy. And you are freshly back from where? Man, all over the world. Just came back from um, Amsterdam and Barcelona. So I just wanted to get uh, an idea of what's going on in your life, what projects you're working on, uh, try and figure out, I don't know, um, a little bit about your upbringing, how you got into DJing. Maybe we could start there. How long was Uncle Jam's Army um, a crew before you joined as a member? Uncle Jam's Army was um, doing that thing already. Um, I used to go to the parties and dance with them and, and, and dance, you know, and watch Roger Clayton DJ and Bleeps and Dave DJ playing all these new records. And I, I looked up at them as, as idols, you know, and I was on the dance floor just doing my thing and, and, and just saying, wow, I wish I could be up there DJing like them. And one day um, I joined up with them. And man, when I started DJing, they, they never seen nobody DJ like I DJed. And they was like, wow, man, you're, you're in. You can be an Uncle Jam's Army DJ. And I became the best Uncle Jim's Army DJ, and we just started rocking the crowds all over and started doing bigger parties and bigger parties. And pretty soon we did the sports arena with 10,000 party people. So how did you guys even get the sports arena as a venue? Because everywhere else we went, it was sold out too fast. So we thought about the biggest place, which were where the Clippers played, was the sports arena. Like, yeah, that's a big place. You think we'll get that many people? And like, let's try it. And so we tried it, and we got 10,000 people. We did it like four or five times. So um, Roger Clayton, as a DJ, um, he was originally in a crew, I think, called Unique Dreams. Yeah, the whole crew was called Unique Dreams. They changed it to Uncle Jam's Army. And why did they, why did they change it? Wow, many stories. But one, Gid Martin told me that um, Unique Dreams started getting a bad name, a bad reputation um, because of other um, music um, promotion groups were lying about them, saying that gangsters go there, they was getting ready to shoot them up, and they, they rob you or they do something like that. So... People were going around 
saying Unique Dreams name. It was given it a bad name, so they just changed the name to Uncle Jam's Army, and it was over. Okay. And then how many shows did you guys end up doing at the sports arena? About four or five. Four or five. And the first show that you played there, was that the one where you unleashed the 808 for the first time, or was that the, later the, the on? The second one, I think. And what just, was it like because you just got it? Yeah, I just got the 808, and um, I was kind of scared because I didn't think people would dance to a drum machine. So I was like, okay. What I'll do, I'll play Planet Rock and I'll break down. I'll, I'll bring the 808 in and nobody will know because I'll have the same program playing. And so I did it and I was kind of scared because 10,000 people, you can't make them mad. You know, we had gangsters in the audience and right. you just cannot make them mad. So um, on the breakdown, I played the, the 808 drum machine and they kept dancing. And I was like, Whew. all right, they're still dancing. Then I said, I'm going to change the beat and see what happens. So then I changed the beat and a couple people walked up to the stage and said, man, what record is that? And I said, all right, I got them. If they don't know this is a, a drum machine, then I got them. I fooled them. And then I played another beat, and people were running up to the stage. Man, what record is that? That is a bad beat. And then Roger actually ran to the stage and said, man, where you get those records? I said, it's a drum machine. It's like, what? And we looked in the audience, and everybody was partying their butt off. And I looked at him and said, we need to make a record. And that's how it all started. So for your next step, I mean, you were, all right, let's make a record. How did you know where to go and what to do? Well, we had, we had mixed Ice T's Cold Wind Madness in a studio, so we kind of knew what a studio was. Okay. And then um, I did a Breaking and Entering soundtrack first, and so I was kind of hip to the, the studio and the mixing board. And then I did the Dollar Freak after the Breaking and Entering. So you were already, like, familiar with yeah. studios and, like, you kind of knew the process. Still getting to find out about it, so I would go to different studios and then learn from the engineer and pay the money to learn. It's like going to college. You, just, you do what you want to do. You know, you, you book a studio, you book an engineer, you learn as much as you can because that's your own education and you keep doing that until you find out everything you need to know. I'm, I mean, I'm still booking studios and different engineers to learn even more today. Right. And um, you put that record out on your own label. I guess it was, was it Freak Beat? Yeah, Freak Beat. And then, which later became Egyptian, Egyptian Empire. Empire. So Freak Beat was me and Roger together and then Freak, that was Freak Beat Green. That Freak Beat Gold was supposed to be just me. But, you know, numbers got mixed up because it was still Freak Beat. So I, I changed the whole thing over to Egyptian Empire Records. So I can control 100% of what I want to do. Okay. So so how soon after, um, I guess, you unleashed the 808 at the sports arena did Dial a Freak and Yes, Yes, Yes come out? About three months. Three months. Damn. Yeah. So quick turnaround. And then was it like out the gate? A smash like played yeah, on the radio. To the radio, they they jumped on it. They played it side A and side B, and it was just incredible. We we actually first went there with a commercial for the next party, with Yes 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 playing, and we gave the DJs at K Day the record. Like, do you want to know what record we was playing on? We on a commercial. We gave them the record, and they just start playing it right away. That is insane, and <laughs> the rest is history. I guess that oh, was yes. just. I mean, that was the beginning of it all. I mean, you were kind of on your way up, but that like sort of solidified. Yeah, we already had fans, and we weren't even making records yet. And we had fans coming to the parties and asking for autographs. So we were already like local celebrities. So when we made the record. It was just the, the natural next step to what we were going to get ready to do. Right. So, so is Freak Beat the first, I guess, rap label on no, the had, West Coast? They had or? other um, people making rap. Like Cletus had Rappers Rap. Oh, right. Okay. And they had that. It was, they was coming out with different records. Um. They had another one, Magic Disc, I think, was making records. I don't know if they're doing rap yet, but they were making records. So we knew some local guys who were making records. So we went into the studio. They called us in there 
to give a hand on, on Ice-T's Cold Wind Madness record. So we went to the studio. We, we kind of, that was our first time going into a studio. And it was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And so we kind of were familiar of the next step. We just had to get the money to get in there. Right. But you guys actually owned it. So maybe it was like the first artist-owned re- label? Yeah. or It was, a, well, the first label that was artist-owned. The artist wrote the record, created the record, sold the record, distributed the record. So it was the first thing ever like that. Damn. All right, then. Um, well, that's pretty crazy, especially for somebody like me growing up in L.A. I was listening to your songs on the radio as like a five-year-old, you know, like <laughs> rolling around in my car. Um, I know that K-Day definitely gave you guys a lot oh, of Oh, yeah, love. definitely. Cause we, we did shows for K-Day. We did actual dances live on K-Day. So they would actually hear us playing mixes and stuff live on the radio at one of our dances. And we just became a household name on K-Day. And so when we had new records, K-Day just, they wanted to be new and jump on it because Uncle Jim's Army had a huge following, not only going to the parties, but listening to the commercials on the radio. And when our songs started playing on the radio, it, it got even bigger. And one day Greg Mack called me and said, man, can you come down to the radio station? I said, why? I said, just please come down here right away. So I went down to the radio station. I want you to answer the request line. Like, you called me down here to answer the request line. I said, please, just do it. So I answered the, the phone. They said, I'd like to hear Egypt, Egypt by Egyptian Lover. Second call. I'd like to hear Egypt, Egypt by Egyptian Lover. Third call. I'd like to hear Egypt, Egypt by Egyptian Lover. Fourth call. I'd like to hear Wind Doves Cry by Prince. And the next six <laughs> calls, I want to hear Egypt, Egypt by Egyptian Lover. He said, it's been like that all day, yesterday, the day before. I'm like, wow. He said, that's pretty amazing. So uh, soon after that, I guess you started touring a lot, going all over the world. Yeah, right after that, I mean, I started touring. I, I haven't stopped since. Right, and I heard somewhere that uh, for that time when you were started the tour, you were uh, you actually like stopped DJing to do like live, yeah. kind of um, all live performances. Well, when I started doing the live thing, I kind of thought, well, I'm gonna leave the DJ thing behind and become an artist, you know. So I can't be the DJ and the artist, and I just became the artist. So I got rid of the turntables and got an emulator and you know Jupiter Eight vocoder, and I just went live around you know the world, I me mean, around America doing my thing. And I had an emulator to emulate scratching and, and, and stuff like that. And that's where the live aspect came from. And at what point did you decide to bring back DJing into your live um, act? In the 90s, after my show, like when I was doing a lot of shows in the South in Louisiana, after the show, I would go to the DJ booth and DJ. And people would lose their mind, like, damn, you're a good DJ. Like, yeah. oh my goodness, like, you should DJ. It was always in the back of my mind, yeah whatever, one, one day. And then in 2004, I got booked in, in Europe, and I did my show, and I said, you know what? These DJs are not handled in the turntables like they should. I'm, I'm going to show them how we used to do it back in the day. So I went and got my old records, the same records I used in Uncle Jam's Army, put together a little crate, and start going to all these shows, doing the same exact mixes I did back in the 80s. And the kids loved it. I mean, they, they see me playing Planet Rock backwards and scratching in the Electric Kingdom and and they lose their mind. I mean, even the DJs like, wow, that's not possible. I don't know how he's doing that. And, and the, when, the, when the kids see the other DJs going crazy, then they start going crazy. And it's like, wow, okay, this is what DJM was all about. Now we see how the art form started. Yeah, and I, I remember seeing you for the first time, maybe like 2009 or something, and just being like, oh, okay. Like, this guy really knows how to do it and really knows how to rock a party and get out there and be more than just... A DJ, like he's, more like an yeah. entertainer, 
DJing, rocking the crowd. Like, I mean, we did that back in the day. We had to because we had nothing else. All we had was turntables and a mic. So now I'm using my two turntables, a mic, and a drum machine and rocking the party like we did back in the day and showing the new, the new generation how we did it 35 years ago. So let's talk real quick about projects you have coming up. I know that you're working on a new record that's yes. almost done. Well, a couple things are going on. So I released an album called 1984, and I recorded it the same way. I recorded my first album in 1984 with the same studios, same equipment like the 808, the Jupiter 8, and all that. And it did really well. So then I said, I'm going to do a follow-up called 1985. And 1985 ended up being better than 1984. Wait till y'all hear it. I got Nucleus on it. I got um, Cybertron, Juan Atkins on it. And it's just incredible. And so that's going to be coming out later this year, like in December. And in the meantime, I got a, um, a record coming out on 808 Day. It's just a bunch of 808 beats and um, four instrumental 808 songs on one side and me just having a jam session for like 15 minutes on side B. And it's going to be on an um, a EP with a 12-inch uh, cover that I drew, and it's coming out on 808 Day. So if you can find one, get one, because it's going to be limited edition. I think we're only pressing up like 1,500. So you're basically going on almost 40 years of being an active DJ, producer, yes. et cetera. Um, what advice or uh, thoughts do you have for people in music who are trying to have a long career and trying to do something that has a lasting impact. I say do what you love, do what you want to do, not what people are making you do. Do what you want to do and love what you're doing. If you're doing what you love, it's not a job. It's just you having fun. And if you're making money having fun, then that's the best thing you can do in life. I like that. All right, Egypt, thank you so much for coming into Mint Condition and being on the show. And yes. uh, we are going to get you on the decks to play some stuff. I think I'm going to play some Prince today, some, some Ooh, funky Prince. Ooh, that's good. You know, Prince uh, unfortunately departed last year. but Two years ago. Two years ago. He did uh, celebrate a birthday recently on the, on the 7th. 60th birthday. Um, and I know that you have always credited him and Kraftwerk as kind of yes. being the foundation of your sound. Yeah, Kraftwerk was the music part, and Prince was definitely the, the vocal part. His, his chant-style rap changed the game for me. It was like when I heard him do, like, people call me rude. I wish we all were nude. I'm like, I like that. That's like a chant. It's not a rap. It's like a chant. And so I kind of put that chant in, into, my, into my style. And, and all the nastiness he did was soft and wet and head and sexy dancer. I loved all that. And it, it, it just, it was, I grew up with it. I mean, I was in high school when I first heard it, so... It was part of me growing up, and it stayed with me, and it's still with me today. Did you ever get the chance to meet Prince in yeah, person? Yeah, I met him a couple of times. Shy, like like everybody <laughs> said, and um, he was really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, so let's get you on these decks. Yes.
Stroke of my brush, I wanna 
it, work it, work it. Work it, work it, work it. Work it, work it, work it. 
you think that I'm a fool Well go for any line And honey put down all your money You win every time
Oh my god. Was that Prince? Oh my god. All right there, Egypt. That was uh, Egypt Does Prince, everybody. Thank you so much for coming through to Mint Condition and dropping it. Yeah, instead of Zappa plays Zappa, it's Egypt plays Prince. That's right. Um, Damn, man, you uh, just destroyed it heavily. Um, Shouts out to XL Middleton, who's in the studio as well. Yes, XL Middleton. And remember that you can see Egypt DJ and perform on the 808 with his band uh, this Saturday at the Grand Star. Yes, June 16th, baby. Modern Funk Fest. Egypt, do you want to say anything, uh, parting words, say what's up to anybody? I want to just say, everybody out there, enjoy your life. Well, those are some good parting words. So everybody, enjoy your life. And uh, we are going to get some records queued up right now. Hold on just one second. Why not play one by the man himself? This is a Egyptian lover, and he will be uh, killing it in one second. Yes. Forward, forward. I'm killing it.
murder in the woods. Destroying the scene. Guess who's back? I'm killing it.
Conceited, but I can't be beat. Give me respect, though I really don't need it. Egyptian lover, yes, that's me. Baby, I'm the king of ecstasy. I'm so sexy, I'm so unique. The Egyptian lover, you little freak, freak, freak. Can you hang? Can you deal? The Egyptian lover, lust for real. Step this way into my heart So I can rip your poor mind straight apart Egypt, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, it's a privilege being here, man. Thanks for having me. Um, and I will see you and a bunch of other party people this Saturday at yes. the Grand Star for Modern Funk Fest. Make sure to roll through. We got Egyptian Lover and Band. We got Beverly Girl from Finland. We got Zaki Force Funk Whoa. and a whole host of DJs. Um, and if you're not familiar with Egyptian Lover, I suggest you delve into his deep, deep discography. Check out 1984 and get ready for 1985. Yes. And shouts to Brian Ellis, David Zilberman, XL Middleton, and everybody else. It's going to be a fun night. Get there early. You don't want to miss this.